Welcome to Kings River Life's Mystery Rats Maze podcast, where we share with you mystery short stories and first chapters of mystery novels read by actors from the San Joaquin Valley. This episode features the mystery short story, Two Men On, One Man Dead, by Jack Bates, and read by local actor Ariel Lynn. This story has never been published before or recorded. The Huron County United Baseball League consisted of six teams. All six teams played at the Huron County Co-op Field just outside of Rowe, a small town along Saginaw Bay in the tip of the thumb of Michigan's Mitt. The stadium sat approximately 4,000 in dark blue seats that ran in rectangular sections from inside the foul poles and behind home plate. There was no upper deck, but there was a press box at the top of the last row. There were no seats beyond the outfield walls. A grassy hill sloped up like a ring of baloney, where guests to the ballpark could put lawn seats and spread a blanket out to watch the game. On the other side of the hill was a parking lot, then a fence, then a road, a shore, and finally, Saginaw Bay. There were no team owners, just league owners. The teams were made up of players as young as 18 and as old as 42. They played high school, college, minor league, and in a few cases, major league ball. Each player made $1,100 a month. If their team wasn't playing that night, they worked a regular job or as an usher at the park. Some of the guys lived with the locals for the season. Others commuted from all over the state. The HCUBL had no affiliation with any pro team or any farm club. All the same, they sent scouts. The Bad Axe Choppers had a pitcher with a solid short game ideal closer for a big league team. The best thing about Scott Nowicki was his age. 20 years old with a sinker that skimmed the strike zone just inside the batter's knees. At least two teams in the majors were interested in Nowicki. To get to him, they had to go through the HCUBL. Wilcott Bilge, the guy I worked for, had season tickets behind the third base dugout. Though he preferred to sit at the concierge level, where a waitstaff could bring him a fried bologna sandwich and an ice-cold Saginaw Bay IPA at the push of a button on his phone. The season tickets he usually just gave away to a client or to someone who had requested them. He looked for charities that needed a grand prize for its fundraisers. People who knew Bilge called him Wooly. He was a big man with a thick salt-and-pepper beard. Silver hair he wore in a ponytail. And eyebrows like steel wool scrubbing pads. He wore custom-cut clothing that downplayed his girth. The clothes didn't fool anyone. After retiring from pro football, he discovered he had a knack for writing a cozy series about a sprightly spinster he named Mildred Morhowig, who tutored a young girl in 1930s Hollywood. Silly-sounding, I know, but the series caught on after On the Good Ship, Lolly Dropped, debuted as a movie on a greeting card-owned cable channel. With fame came great pressures, and so he hired me to be his personal assistant, as well as the face of his nom de plume, Janet Lyme. I didn't mind. I graduated from Mid-Michigan University with a BA in English Studies, a minor in Creative Writing, and a teaching certificate. Politicians down in Lansing stuck a fork in education in Michigan, and no one seemed interested in what I wrote. 
I found I would be making more doing Wooly's errands and signing his books than I would in public, private, or charter school, or, for that matter, writing for clickbait sites while I kidded myself into thinking I had time to write the next great American drugstore paperback. So, I took the job. Of course, it meant I had to drive him to the ball games and sit there with him as he ate and drank. At least it was a summer sport. At least we got to be outside. Sunsets over the bay were pretty spectacular. I pretty much enjoyed my life. The afternoon the league president was murdered, we were there. Alan Wainwright was part owner of the Huron County United Baseball League. There were four others. Allison Humphrey, retired elementary school teacher who, with her friends, won a mega lottery jackpot. Carl Lackanen, owner and founder of Mitten Insurances, we've got you covered, was the company's motto under a picture of a mitten-covered hand. Hank Allard, owner of a string of garden shops. Monty Hillman, huh, no one knew what Hillman did, but he had a boatload of money. Quite possibly he did nothing. Finally, there was Alan Wainwright, a real estate magnet who thought his six-league team would one day rival all the pro leagues. On that day, the MLB would have to buy into the HCUBL. It was Wainwright's braggadocio that was stifling Scott Nowicki's shot at signing a big league contract. Scott Nowicki's father went public with his disdain for Wainwright, accusing the man of acting like a plantation owner, controlling his workers' livelihoods. In a statement to the media, Wainwright reminded people, read that as Mr. Nowicki, that Scott had signed a contract with the HCUBL, making the league his representative. Essentially, Wainwright became an agent for 200 players, coaches, and managers. Wainwright controlled the game pieces, not the other way around. It was after the seventh inning stretch and the firing of fireworks over the bay that Alan Wainwright was found dead in the league suite, a private room for the board members to relax, agendicize, or entertain. The suites were on the landing above the back row, three along the first base side, three along the third base side. The league suite was its own oasis in the center behind home plate. Wooly and I sat one level below it awaiting the delivery of his food. Josie, do you think you could go check on my sandwich? I just came from there, Wooly. It's a little busy. You know how I get when I haven't eaten. I can feel my blood sugar dropping. Not how it works, Wooly, but fine. I'll go check. Thank you. I got up to go, but stopped short when I found Allison Humphrey standing behind me. I wonder if we could trouble Mr. Bilt to join us in our suite, Humphrey said to me. Is there a problem? I'd rather not say right here. We've sent for Sheriff McCandless. Here she trailed off. Everyone knew Greg McCandless had only gotten the job because of his good looks. Everyone also knew Wilcott Bilge wasn't just the real Janet Lime. They knew he wrote so intricately because he had a knack for deducing the logical conclusion. He had helped solve at least two prior murders in Huron County just by reading witness statements brought to him by Sheriff Greg McCandless. I told her if she promised to have a fried bologna sandwich and a cold, saggy bay IPA waiting for him, 
I'd have him there ASAP. I turned back to Wooly. He posed for a fan's photo op. Well? The HCUBL board wants you to join them in their suite. Now? The choppers are mounting a rally. They have two men on and one... He stopped abruptly. You don't suppose this has anything to do with them wanting me to buy into the league, do you? Won't know until we go. Come on. He picked up his cane and we made our way to the suite. Inside, Alan Wainwright lay on the floor by a private rear entrance with an ice pick in his neck. Where were all of you? Wooly asked. Allison Humphrey looked at the three other league owners. None of them appeared eager to talk. We'd gone to the seats out front to sing, Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Alan stayed here waiting for a phone call. All of you went out? All of us, Carl Lackinen said. The door was closed when you came in? Yes, Hank Allard said. Ice clinked in his glass of bourbon as he brought it away from his mouth. Wooly stared at the four board members. So, Alan Wainwright gets his call. To avoid the noise, he opens the door to step into the private hall, where a killer waits with an ice pick and plunges it into Wainwright's neck, then closes the door. Plausible, not at all probable, Monty Hillman snarled. It was Tom Nowicki, I'm telling ya. Did you see him here tonight? No, sir, but I did hear him threaten Al on more than one occasion. Yes, as did anyone who had any type of phone, tablet, or screen. Tom Nowicki threatened legal action. However, not bodily harm. Curious, what had you as a board decided to do about Scott Nowicki's contract with the HCUBL? We expected him to honor it, Monty Hillman said. Hank Allard cleared his throat. <clears throat> there is a buyout clause. He drank again. Wooly put his hands together. Explain that. Monty Hillman cut off Allard. The clause says that if a player can pay ten times what he has earned during his tenure with the league, he can leave the HCUBL and conduct independent negotiations with any agent or organization he wishes. Uh-huh, Wooly nodded. A player makes how much here? Eleven hundred a month, I said. Season runs Memorial Day to Labor Day. I'm assuming that May and September count as half months? That's right, Hillman winked and nodded. I had an idea how he accumulated his fortune. He pinched a penny for every cent it was worth. So, as a player, Scott Nowicki stands to make $4,400 this summer. For 44000 he can buy his way out of servitude. It certainly gives Tom Nowicki motive for killing off Wainwright. Hillman clapped his hands. <laughs> I knew it was him. It wasn't him, Wooly said. It was one of you. Hillman seemed flummoxed. <laughs> Baloney! It wasn't me. I know it wasn't you. Then who was it? Wooly smiled. Wainwright may have given Miss Humphrey a hard time in the classroom as a student, but when she won the lottery, she was one of the first investors he sought for the HCUBL. Mr. Lackanen is a tycoon in the thumb in northern Michigan. Why would he risk a murder conviction? Why would anyone? I asked. Yes, well, given that, it only leaves you, Mr. Allard. Me? 
Allard's hand shook a bit, rattling the ice. You're the odd man out here. How much did you have left after you invested in the HCUBO? I wasn't broke. No, but you weren't as financially sound as the other board members. Because of that, you felt for the little guy. You were defending Scott Nowicki. You offered to pay the buyout clause. Wainwright laughed at you, or said something to you. While everyone went out to sing, you came back in to get a drink. A confrontation occurred that ended with you taking the ice pick and putting it in Wainwright's neck. Alad set his glass on the bar. I don't even like bourbon. Wainwright was making the drink. He set the ice pick down to go out and I saw my chance. To kill? Alad looked up at Wooly. You couldn't reason with a bastard like that. A few minutes later, Sheriff McCandless arrived, as did a fried bologna sandwich. Two Men On, One Man Dead was produced by Kings River Life. You can learn more about Jack Bates and his writing on his website, flashjab.blogspot.com. Our theme song, The Blues, was written and played by Kevin Memley. Check out Kings River Life Magazine's websites for more mystery, local theater, animal rescue, and so much more. kingsriverlife.com and krlnews.com. We'll be back next time with another mystery short story or mystery first chapter. Subscribe to our podcast and make sure you don't miss a single episode. And follow us on Twitter to keep up with everything KRL, at Kings River Life. Until next time, this is your announcer, Jim Tuck, wishing you a life full of mystery. Mystery.